Something I know all too well is that the internet is full of rabbit holes. You can quickly find yourself learning about things and subsequently even longing for things you have no idea that you didn't need or you don't need. I'm not exactly sure how that goes. Um, We were uh, looking at buying a mattress. It's amazing the amount of time you can spend finding a uh, mattress. Right about uh, on a forum, someone else said, oh, I spent the last hour and a half reading about diapers because he's getting ready to have a baby. This morning on my phone, I got a deal uh, notification, which I had set up, that there was a board game, $5.99. And then I click on that and I'm like, oh, this is normally a $35 board game. So all of a sudden, I learn about something and I'm wanting something that I had never seen before. And it, I don't know if you've ever had that experience or maybe I'm just confessing here. You're suddenly wanting something that you've never even heard of. Some of you have heard of the phrase, and I don't know if people say FOMO or the F-O-M-O. I I don't think I hear it often. It's uh, described on the internet as a form of social anxiety. It stands for fear of missing out, and maybe you've heard of that more. And the internet describes it as a compulsive concern that one might miss an opportunity or a satisfying event often aroused by posts seen on social media websites. So you find yourself, if you are on these social media websites, Instagram or Facebook, longing for something, an experience that you had previously never even heard of. Now, Disneyland has mastered this by posting pictures of things that look amazing and are only there for a limited time. Like, look at this specially designed Mickey Mouse-shaped treat. You're like, well, we can't miss out on that. What is it that you have been longing for. Our hearts are a complex nest of interwoven, competing longings. You think of a nest with all of those threads and sticks, and they're all woven together. Now, if you have new life in Christ, some of those desires are God-given and God-pleasing. You have a longing to please him. You have a longing to know him. But because we are still in the flesh, because our our salvation, although we're saved, we're still waiting for that future salvation. We'll talk about that more. um, If you pick at some of those desires, some of those longings that you have, you can pick at them. And if you pull them out of that nest of longings, that nest of desires, you pick at them and you see that that root is still in the flesh. Some of you this morning don't have new life. You've never tasted of God's kindness. You've never longed for him. Where are your longings coming from? So what is it you've been longing for? What's captured your appetite? Peter, in 1 Peter, wrote to the suffering first century saints of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It's really a, a massive area. And he wrote to them to direct their longings and to stimulate their appetites. These saints had been, these, these, these followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, had been alienated from their peers because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. They had repented of their disobedience, of their former ways of life, They had submitted to the God of Scripture, placing all their hope in God's Son. And for doing so, they were often ostracized and they were maligned for their commitment to Jesus. So we saw in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 12, that Peter began by encouraging these saints about the certainty of their their salvation. And then starting in verse 13... From the end of the chapter 1, we saw Peter giving various commands to them about how they were to live as aliens and as strangers in this world. Verse 13, we saw that they were to set their hope on the grace brought to them at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, he called them to be holy in all their conduct. Verse 17, he told them about conducting their lives in fear, knowing that they would stand before their father, but who was also a judge. Verse 22, the last time we were in 1 Peter, we saw Peter's command that they were to love one another fervently from the heart. 
And now, in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter directs these, these sojourning saints, these, these aliens and exiles, to what they were to be longing for. If you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read now from 1 Peter 1. We'll, we'll, we'll go back a little bit to verse 22, and we'll go up to chapter 2, verse 3. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's pray now. Father, once again, we thank you for preserving your word for us. We thank you for the freedom that we have. We thank you that we have all 66 books of your word and that we can be taught by them. And we come uh, this morning uh, thinking about our longings and confess, Lord, that we, are, we can be schizophrenic with them, really, Lord, going from longing to please you to longing for things and, and possessions or experiences, and that can happen so quickly. Uh, Lord, we pray that this morning uh, you would be refining in us our longing for pure spiritual milk. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would be giving us wisdom uh, what that milk is, that we would uh, see how essential it is for our growth. I pray, Father, that we would leave this morning with a more fervent desire to see you as revealed in your word, and that we would not be satisfied without tasting more of your kindness. Thank you, Father, and do pray that you would uh, help me as I speak, that it would be clearly that your word would be explained and correctly applied. pray, Father, you would give us all hearts eager to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to examine six aspects of longing for God so that we'll grow up into our salvation. We're going to look at six aspects of longing for God so that we'll grow up into our salvation. When, when I was young, my parents had a friend whose baby, while, 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 while in the hospital, had received the wrong injection. Now, this is a story I know from a long time ago, so I don't know what the injection was or what happened. The boy basically continued to grow physically, and by the time I met him, he was around 14 years old. But mentally, he was perpetually an infant. He had the affections of an infant, the ability to move of an infant, but he never grew. Now, this in itself is a tragic story, and he continued that, that, that way until he died. It's a tragic story, but for us, it is an illustration of what we all know, that not growing is tragic. It's true of a human life, and it's true of a spiritual life when we are born again. God's design is that those he's given new life to, those who's given new life in Christ Jesus, will grow to become like Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, describes how we are to grow in all up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, how we all have a part to play that, causes the growth of the body for the building, of, the building up of itself in love. That we are to be growing into Christ's likeness together with one another. And that's tragic when a portion of the body of Christ does not grow. Now, as we begin to look at 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, we're going to do something that we've done several times in, in 1 Peter. We're going to begin with a main command first. And the main command is actually in verse 2. The main command is to long for the pure milk. Now, we're going to come back to verse 1 because it supports verse 2. Now, that's not obvious, and I, I, I know that, that many of us here use the ESV version. I'm going to read it to you, what, what verse 1 says. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. 
And in the ESV, you read that, and it's a complete sentence. And any grammar nerds out there know what I'm talking about. It makes sense by itself. It's got a it's subject, although implied. It's got a verb. It's a complete sentence. If you read it in, in the New American Standard, which really does uh, bring out a, a, a little bit more of the Greek, it says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. You notice that that by itself is a sentence fragment. You can see I love grammar. It's a very cool thing. And many parents here homeschool, your kids should love grammar. It really helps in Bible study. By itself, you just read it by, your, by itself in the NASB. I'll do it again. Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, you're waiting for what the main verb is. You, you don't see that in the ESV. So we're going to let verse 1 do what it does and support the main command in verse 2. And that is where we're going to start. First, with the second, with the middle part of verse two, the object of our longing. So that's the first of our six aspects so that we can grow spiritually. It's the object of our longing. Peter commands in verse two, he says, long for the pure milk of the word. Long means exactly what we think it means, to have that strong desire for. It's a, it's a word that Peter used many times, and Paul used many times, to talk about how much he missed the saints. We saw in, in uh, Philippians a couple times, like in Philippians 1 verse 8, how he longed for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's heart ached to be reconnected, to be reunited with his family. That's what this word long means. And have you ever had that longing to be reunited with your best friend? That's the kind of longing that Peter is speaking of here. That earnest yearning. Now the middle of verse 2 in the New American Standard says, long for the pure milk of the word. In the ESV it says, long for the pure spiritual milk. And I don't want to keep doing this, but it is important. I know we're kind of split here as far as which versions you have. And, and th this may come as a surprise. What it says in the New American Standard is of the word is translated as spiritual in the ESV, okay? Those really don't seem like the same things, right? Of the word and spiritual. But they're both translating what is really a hard Greek word, which is, log, which is logikos. See, this word was originally used to distinguish a human from a, a animal. So what makes a human different? And it points to... Human's capacity, whether it's their, their spiritualness, their rationalness, what separates a human from an animal? So one lexicon describes it as pertaining to being genuine in the sense of being true to the real and essential nature of something. So it gets to the heart of what makes something something? What makes a human human? It is this word. So this pure milk that Peter speaks of, this unadulterated milk, is that which is appropriate. It's that which, which is reasonable, what's, what's rational, what's essential for the Christian life. What has to be there? So what is this unadulterated, reasonable milk, this essential milk that we are to long for? What is this milk that's appropriate to our new birth? Well, Peter doesn't exactly say, he doesn't say, this is the milk of the word. So in that way, ESV's spiritual milk is probably closer. You could also say like, maybe rational milk, but we still have to interpret that. The immediate context gives us a clue in verses 23 to 25, where Peter has just been talking about the living and enduring word of God, the word which was preached to you in verse 25. He gives another clue following in verse 3 where he says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So this milk that Peter is talking about is the cupboard of God's kindness. It is where we can go and find the sustenance of God's kindness. And that truth, we all know, is seen most clearly in his perfect word. And so that is a little bit of why the New American Standard translates this of his word. It is God's word read and understood and meditated on. It is his word clearly preached. It is his word spoken as we encourage one another. It is his word captured in song. It is his word proclaimed when we participate in communion together. 
That is the milk that our new natures long for. It is, it is the milk. It is the reality of who God is. It's the reality of, what he, of who he is and what he's done as it's digested until this truth gives nutrition to us, until this truth transforms us, until this truth results in our spiritual growth. Now, that is the milk of God's word that we are to long for. But perhaps you're here this morning saying, well, I'm not really longing for that pure spiritual milk of God's word. So what do you do if you're not longing? I mean, it can be tough. I mean, there's lots of things you may not have the greatest appetite for. And I say long for that. It's like, well, I don't really want that right now. Or I, I, I used to like that, but I'm, I'm not liking it as much currently. I miss longing for that. If you've never tasted the kindness of the Lord, as Peter talks about it later, then cry out to him and admit to him that you don't desire him. You long for other things. We as creatures long and repent of longing for the gifts that God's given rather than God himself. Repent and then put your faith in his son for the forgiveness for your misplaced longings. If you have no longing, if you can say, I've never longed for the milk of God's word. It's never been tasty to me. I've been growing up in church my whole life and it's never been good to me. Confess that to the Lord and repent and put your faith in his son who took the punishment of our misplaced longings. But maybe you, in the past, you have delighted in, in knowing God and you have had a sincere longing for his word. Well, it's good to be concerned. And then be desperate. And not desperate like, like, oh, is judgment coming? But be desperate in talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't long like I once did. Confess your, your lack of longing to the Lord. And confess that to one another. That's the privilege of being in small groups and in care groups. Saying, I, I, I used to love this, but the appetite is diminishing. I'm not hungry like I once was. Brothers, sisters, pray that I would love this. And then don't wait passively until you feel that hunger. How long would you let a baby not eat? I'm just not hungry. I mean, that might be okay for a while. You're probably happy for a while. But as the day wears on, you start getting nervous. You're not going to be okay with that baby not eating. The sickest person still needs nutrients. And you are never so spiritually sick that you shouldn't be taking God's word. But that's exactly what our souls do. When we're feeling most like we don't want along, we stay away from God's word. Instead, what we should be doing is keeping, like with a sick person, that broth-filled spoon. You know, and, and you always see that in movies, right? The sickest person, well, he's too sick to eat. So let's put that spoon to his mouth and pour some in there. He can't, he can't even eat solid food. Just get something in there. And that's what we should be doing with God's word until our appetite returns, until we're longing again. Some of you have experienced uh, a seasons when you don't eat healthy. Perhaps the holidays were that for you. When all you're eating is junk food, junk food sounds the best. Now, I don't know if you've experienced that. You know, during a season where you start eating out more, uh, you start getting satiated by what you're eating out. And suddenly, at least for me, things that are greasier and cheesier sounds like that's what I want for dinner. And the more you eat uh, those kinds of things, the more you want them. A salad sounds maybe like duty, like maybe something that would be corrective, like something that you would, should do, but not satisfying. But many of you can testify that when you start eating healthy, you actually start enjoying it. Now, maybe some of you can't say that, but some of you, you, you know you're like, you know, I actually would like a salad now. But that's only when you have that healthy appetite going. If you've lost your appetite for God's word, then you need to lay off the junk food. Lay off the junk food of Pinterest and Netflix and ESPN because those things seem so satisfying. There's thrill after thrill after thrill. 
I mean, you can watch things that get your, your pulse racing. Does God's word do that to us? So correct your appetite by going hard after God's word, but then by decreasing your intake of those other not satisfying things. So we're commanded to long. The object of our longing is this pure spiritual milk, most contained in God's word. That's the first aspect of our longing. The second is the logic of our longing. The logic of our longing. First, we look at the object of our longing. Let's look at the logic of our longing. Beginning in verse 1, we see that there's a therefore. The therefore links chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, with chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. So to see what logic is here, what this therefore is therefore, we have to go back into the previous section. And there we see that the central command, again, it's not the first thing you read, but it, it is in verse 22. The central command is fervently love one another from the heart. That that is, and, and I love this, that that is part of the reason why we're saved. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. That is part of why we are saved, for a sincere love. So now Peter grounds the command to love one another in their having been born again. You've been born again not of seed, which is in verse 23 of chapter 1. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable as through the living and enduring word of God. So believers have the capacity to love because they've been born again through God's word. So when Peter begins with this, therefore, he's drawing a logical conclusion from what he just said. Since you've been born from God's word, long for the pure milk of God's word. Since you've been born again, since you've been given life, then keep growing. This is what this, and we're going to see that, that the result of in, in chapter 2, verse 2, of the pure milk of the word is that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. God has given you new life, so then grow. And that will be through his word. Since you've been given You've been born again by God's word, long for that life-giving word. But also, we're going to see that, that, that there's also a logical connection by the kind of life he's describing. By this life of fervently loving one another. That, that's the command. That's what you were born again to. Therefore, because you've been commanded to this life through God's word, not just long for the word, but that, that's true, but that, that kind of life is going to be impossible. You can't have that kind of love if you're not longing for God's word. Loving the brethren and longing for God's word are dependent on one another. And that brings us to our third aspect. They are co-requisites. Yes, that's a word I found on the interwebs. They are co-requisites of one another. So I actually did a little search on, on the internet because it's really interesting here. I'm, I'm trying to get to why in the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, we looked at the therefore. But then he says, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. That, that phrase there supports that command long. So he wants to show that there's a connection between these two things. You have to put aside all of these things and then you have to long for God's word. So what is the relationship here? And I like actually did a, a, a internet search for what's a, a, a prerequisite that happens at the same time. Yeah, I actually did. So, uh, and there's a great word that, that it is a co-requisite. And it's a word used in universities, many, surprisingly, even though I never heard it before, of classes that need to be taken at the same time. And that's what we see here. That, that, that this, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, has to happen at the same time as we long for the pure milk of the word. They are co-requisites. They are dependent upon one another. You can't long for the pure milk of the word and not be putting aside these things. And you can't put aside these things without longing for the pure milk of the word. They are co-requisites. That's the last time I'm going to say that, hopefully. So putting aside means to take off or... Or, or to lay aside. It's used of taking off clothes. It was used when they, uh, 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 when they killed Stephen and they took off their robes and, and brought them in, in, front, in front of Saul. It says they laid aside the robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They, they, they took off their robes and put them there. It was, it's a consistently used metaphor in the early church in the New Testament for our responsibility to take off sin. In fact, Roots on Friday night talked about this word. 
In Ephesians 4.22, it says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. It's that word there, to lay aside, to take off. Now, Peter talks about five things here that they need to lay aside, that they needed to take off. He says malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Now, he could have made that list much longer. And, and there's other lists of things we need to lay aside in Scripture, like Colossians 3.8. Put them all aside. It's the same word there, lay aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And really, we, we could add to that any number of things. I think Peter focuses on this, not because he knew that this was a problem in the churches he was writing to. He was writing to a vast swath of churches across a huge area, like twice the size of California. So it's not like, oh, all of you are struggling with the same sin. Um, but he was just talking about how they were saved for fervent love for one another. So it's, so it's logical. He talks then, you have to get rid of these things. You have to put these kinds of things aside. So, so what are these five sins they needed to put aside? Put aside all malice. Now, this word for, for malice used in other contexts, the word can be translated as evil or wickedness. It's really a broad word. Because of this context here, we're talking about relationships and with the other words. It's evil directed towards one another. One commentator says it's the desire to inflict pain, harm, or injury on our fellow man. Now, notice that Peter says all malice. It's not just toward the, the, the brotherhood. It's not just toward the saints, although I think that's his biggest focus here. Put aside all malice. He also says put aside all deceit. It's not only lying to someone. It involves trickery and treachery. It's having false motives in order to take advantage of someone. This word is used in Matthew 26, verse 4. They plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. That is that kind of deceit, that treachery, that stealth. Peter says to put aside hypocrisy. To, uh, the the uh, lexicon describes hypocrisy as creating a public impression that's at odds with one's real purposes or motivations. The roots of the word are in the theater, playing a role, play-acting. A commentator says, masking an inward evil by an outward show of righteousness. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You're hiding your true intentions, your true motives. Peter said to put aside envy. One commentator, and we, we, we know what envy is. He brings out the envy is also contrary to love. For instead of desiring the best for others, it hopes for their downfall or prefers the advancement of oneself to the joy of others. Last, he says, put aside all slander. It's speaking ill of someone else, but there's a malicious nature to it. It's defaming them. It's degrading them. It's, it's exalting yourself by tearing someone else down, whether, whether true or false. Now, what's really interesting is that Peter wasn't writing to rebellious Christians here. I mean, these things sound pretty horrible, right? Uh, maybe you can think, I don't think I've got malice for anyone. Or, I don't see in myself deceit in the way that I'm trying to be treacherously rooting for someone's downfall. Peter wasn't writing to particularly rebellious Christians. So there's a warning there that the capacity for these sins is in every person. All of them are the opposite of love. All of them are the opposite of fervent love. And really, I think that you could take any one of them and start kind of rooting out in your heart. And I think some of them are a little bit easier. Envy. So where can I follow this, 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 this thread of, of envy in my relationship with other people here? Maybe some of you might even have, have malice toward government officials. It's the kind of thing I think we hear a lot of recently. Just hatred, even in speech, towards Democrats, towards Republicans. Like, really, if you hear what I said, that sounds like malice. Or slander, very easy to fall to. You know, here, that's a sneaky one. Just want to make myself a little bit better by tearing someone else down. These relational sins are incompatible with longing for God's word. 
and longing for God's word, the co-requisite is that we put them aside. If our kids' stomachs are full of junk food, they won't want dinner. And if our hearts are full of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, we're not going to long for God's word. If you have one of those things festering in there, your appetite is going to be ruined. The, 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 the ground of your heart is not big enough for both these weeds and for God's word. My brother-in-law, Joe, uh, I hope you all get a chance to, to, to meet him someday. He's a funny way of saying things. Uh, he put this on, on a Facebook recently. With three kids sick with some sort of stomach bug, we've played multiple rounds of the game. Are these underpants worth saving? And the answer is almost always no. It's a very simple example of putting away, getting rid of. So how much more zealous should we be to put away filthy sins, and not just in this list, but any filthy sins, which keep us from longing for God's word? They're incompatible with that appetite for him. Envy and slander need to be more disgusting to us than any kind of soiled underpants. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. They should be, get, a, get this away from me. This is going to kill my desire for God's word. If you've not been longing for the pure milk, maybe it's because your relationship is broken with your brothers and sisters. Or maybe you're just angry with God for sovereignty in other relationships, e even in different political parties? Is it because your heart has become hard towards others, wishing harm, resenting their blessing, seeking your own advantage, tearing others down? Maybe that's, not, maybe that's why you haven't been longing God's word, because it's filled with something ugly. Fourth aspect, so we talked about the object of our longing, the lo logic of our longing, that therefore there, the co-requisite for our longing, we have to be putting aside these relational sins, and then now fourth, the fervency of our longing. The fervency of our longing. Beginning of verse 2, Peter says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. We're not just commanded to long for pure milk, but Peter makes it specific here. He just doesn't say long like babies. He throws in a newborn in there. Long like newborn babies. A newborn baby who won't be distracted by anything. You know, they don't know enough to say, oh, a rattle's fascinating. They're just like, give me food. A pacifier might do that trick for a minute, but it's not going to satisfy. To long with earnestness and resoluteness and eagerness. See, a healthy baby is not passive about feeding. They're active. They crave and they demand and they cry. And they exhaust themselves crying if they don't get milk. They won't be told no. And you'd be foolish to try, right? It's not going to go well. Are you wanting all that God will give you of himself in his word? Are you wanting all that he would give? Or are you okay with a snack-sized portion, a lunchable of God's word? Are you on some kind of self-inflicted diet? Whoa, I've already read a chapter. Like, don't want to overdo it. Of course, I'm joking. It's not really, we're not talking about how many chapters a day we read. It's not whether you're a quick reader or a fast reader. If you're on a reading plan or you're not. It's about our appetites. Do you have an insatiable appetite for your Savior in his scripture? Do you cry for his word when you're not in it? So longing is the same, the, the, the word that Peter uses is the same Greek word that is used in Psalm 42.1 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. It's a verse that's, that is familiar to you. As the deer pants or longs for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Are you panting for God? Not just in your daily devotions, right? Like, that's a meal and that's good. But in your meditating while you're driving, 
in your conversations with the saints, in your listening on Sunday? Does your soul cry if it hasn't been in God's word? I think that sometimes we can try to satisfy this longing by, by studying a difficult doctrine and getting our minds engaged, and some of that's good. Or maybe we satisfy this longing in a sense by trying to figure out, well, what does this passage mean? And that's good. But remember, we want to get God himself is in his word. We want to taste of his kindness, not just academically stimulating ourselves. It's about finding him. At the end of verse 2, we see our fifth, we see our fifth aspect. It's the result of this longing. The result of our longing. We've seen the object of our longing, the logic of our longing, the prerequisite of our longing, fervency of our longing. Here we see the result of our longing. The result of our longing at the end of verse 2 is so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now Peter, of course, and, 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 and I think we all know this, doesn't mean that if you long enough you'll become saved. You just have to work up enough fervency for God's word and you'll make yourself right with God. He's addressing those who've already been saved, who've been rescued from the dominion of sin, who've been rescued from punishment of sin, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone. But as we've seen in 1 Peter, we've seen this already a couple times, salvation, as Peter's talking about it here, he's focusing on the future salvation, not the past have been saved, but the future salvation. We saw that in 1 Peter 1.5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We're waiting for the unveiling of this excellent, full appreciation of salvation. We saw it in verse 9 of chapter 1. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We're waiting for that full enjoyment of it. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are still waiting the full experience of salvation in the future. Right? Temptation will be eradicated. The flesh will have no influence on us. Eventually, we will be where Christ reigns and his reign, and he reigns now, but we don't see the fullness of that reign yet. We'll be saved from even the presence of sin. Imagine someone from the future. Imagine a younger Michael J. Fox comes back from the future and tells you, your child is going to be one of the greatest NBA players ever. Or, if you are built differently, your child is going to be the greatest concert cellist ever. And they bring you the newspaper articles. Michael J. Fox has them right there. Look, they're going to be amazing. Look at their future trading card. Look, I've got their, their vinyl record right here. Really, vinyl's making a comeback. Now, perhaps you'd be like, great. We don't want you to practice anymore. Right, we're going to cancel those lessons, not paying for any more of those. No more summer leagues. But my guess is that if you knew that with 100% certainty, your child was destined for a certain kind of greatness, you'd have even more confidence in pushing them. Right? Because there's no if involved. You know all this time is going to pay off. All these lessons, all this hard work, all this making them do something they may not want to do is going to pay off when there's no if involved. The final salvation of God's people, the full enjoyment of that salvation is certain. There is no if involved. We know the future. The completion of our salvation is coming at the return of Christ. I love 1 John 3 verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God and has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When Christ returns, we will be made 100% like him. We will have full growth completed and finished. But now we are to grow in respect to our salvation, unto our salvation. It's characteristic, this kind of growth is characteristic of those who will enjoy that future salvation. Just as practice is characteristic of the person who's going to be that great basketball player or that great cellist. It's, it's, part, it's part of how you become who you are going to be. But that growth doesn't happen apart from longing. And that's what the, the, 
the connection Peter makes here. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. God did not save us for stagnation. When a, po- when a parent has a child who over time is not growing, he takes them to the doctor to make sure that they're healthy. I checked with Huey first. The doctor would ask, are they eating? I wanted to check because you know, there's a lot of doctors here. But that seemed like a normal question that a doctor would want to know. Well, is your child eating? How's their appetite? If we are going to grow, it will be because we are eating, because we are participating in God's word, because we are longing to taste again his kindness. If you want to grow, as Peter says at the end of 2 Peter 3, if you want to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then long for the pure milk of the word. I think that's motivation itself, but Peter wants to give more motivation. That leads us to our sixth point. There's more motivation. The motivation for our longing. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And and here he motivates them. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now, Peter doesn't expect a negative response to this if. Oh, well, that counts me out. I never tasted the kindness of the Lord. Instead, he's confident that those he's writing to have tasted the kindness of the Lord, that this is going to be motivating to them, that they've already benefited from the Lord's benevolence to them. Peter here with this phrase refers to Psalm 34, verse 8. He says in Psalm 34, verse 8 through 10, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints, for to those who fear him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Those who seek the Lord, those who take refuge in the Lord, to those who trust the Lord, and Peter would add, those who long for the Lord, who've tasted the Lord, they lack no good thing. Now, when Peter says, those, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, he's not predominantly talking about the kindness that all of God's creatures have enjoyed. The kindness of, of common grace that gives food for all to enjoy, that gives rain. He's talking about the specific kindness, like in Psalm 34, for those who take refuge in him, to those who fear him, to those who seek to him. God's good will is lavished on his children. Those that he has born again through the living and enduring word of God. His kindness is wide open to them. So Peter appeals to them based on their having tasted the kindness of the Lord. You who have tasted the kindness of the Lord long because you remember the Lord's kindness. I don't know if any of you can talk about the best meal you've ever had. I can remember a couple just, just you know, that, 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 that rare time where we, 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 we had won uh, a, a gift certificate to a fancy restaurant, and you go, and you're like, how did they do that? You just remember, and I think, I'm pretty sure I had elk, and you're like, no, you had elk, and I had something else, man. You just remember each bite, and you're like, oh, that was so good. That's what Peter's saying here. Remember that really good meal. Remember that favorite meal your mom used to make. Remember God's kindness. Remember how sweet it was when you first got the gospel. When you first understood that Christ died in your place. That you could never save yourself, but you could put your faith in him. Remember the goodness of the grace of Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus' kindness in in touching lepers and his compassion on the crowds without a shepherd and his compassion as he commands those who are weary and heavy laden to come to him for rest. Remember the certainty of your forgiveness and the certainty of your adoption and the joy of being reconciled to God and the songs that come when you know you are right with him. Of your past delight in God's word. And for some of you, you might be looking back and saying, it's gotten, shady, it's gotten shady, it's gotten a little vague to me, but I remember it. And that's what Peter is saying. Remember how good the kindness of the Lord is. You've tasted it. Long for more because it's delicious. And he's saying that to, re- to remind them, but also to encourage them to look forward. It was good and you're going to get more good. 
We're not just reminiscing about the good old days. So having tasted of his kindness, we should expect more of that kindness, more of that goodness. Sometimes my uh, wife will make chocolate chip cookies. And she does this amazing thing where she rolls the cookie dough into balls and then puts those balls in the fridge. And then after the kids go to bed, I can say this because they're not here, we cook three of them. I have two and she has one often. And uh, we'll do that for like a week straight, right? I look forward to that. It's okay passing by the Hershey Kiss after dinner because I know I'm getting some of that goodness in a little bit. That's what Peter's appealing them to. There's cookie dough in the fridge of God's word. It's going to be melty and good, but you so long for it. Get into it. If you are in the Lord Jesus, if you have been reconciled to him, if you've been adopted by God the Father, long with expectancy that you're going to taste his kindness again, the milk of his word has satisfied your soul in the past, and it will again. I was thinking about this. Just imagine the amount of confidence an addict has to have for, for whatever that substance is. Whatever that experience is. Even though they know it's soul-destroying. And they go to it again and again, confident that they're going to taste. Really, they're going after kindness, right? They're going after an experience there. They have that kind of, of conviction, ultimately, even though they know better about something that's horrible for them. It's about something that will destroy their lives. We have such a good father who's given us his good word, and we doubt. Or we manage it. Well, I had a quiet time. We check a box. Long for the pure milk of the word. I mean, we should be putting addicts who want drugs to shame because we have tasted of God's kindness. The enduring Christian walk, the saint who perseveres, is the one who believes that they will taste again the kindness of God in his word. That every saint who perseveres, they might ebb and tide. They might hit periods where it is tough to open the word, but they go back to his word. That is what God's people do. That is how they persevere. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. The psalmist says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Brother or sister, you who are coming in this morning discouraged and depressed, wait for the Lord. You will again taste the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that goodness is in this pure spiritual milk of his word. Longing for this milk and going and tasting and getting of his kindness is what describes those who persevere. So will you obey? Some of us have choices. We have to put away what we've been stuffing ourselves with. Maybe even morally neutral things, and maybe some of it is the filth we saw in verse 1 of, of, of these relational sins. Any number of kinds of sins. Will you obey by putting away what's filthy and humbly longing for the pure milk of the word? And this is, we are commanded to do this. So pray. If your longing is, is weak, pray and say, Lord, help this longing to grow. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to get the word open. Help me to see your kindness again. And keep going to it all day long until, until you are longing. And if it's not this day, then tomorrow, and then the next day. Do that dependently, crying out. That baby knows that only his mom will satisfy. And you will only be satisfied, brother and sister, by pure spiritual milk. Now, Peter expects a, a, a positive response here when he says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. But perhaps you are here this morning and you've never tasted of that kindness. We're talking about something that you're on the outside and you're looking in. You're like, I've never enjoyed God's word that way. I don't have, have fond memories of when I was forgiven or when I was reconciled to God. 
If you're on the outside looking in, Jesus is life-giving bread. Jesus is thirst-satisfying water. Jesus is dark-dispelling light. Jesus is death-defeating life. He is the one that we go to. If you repent of your sin, of all of the other longings, and maybe some of them feel a lot like addictions to you, and maybe some of them are. They've enslaved you. Put your faith in Christ alone. You will experience an eternity of tasting the kindness of the Lord. What we are enjoying here is just the beginning. As I've said in the past, it's just the smell of what's baking. Full salvation is coming. We're growing to the fullness of that salvation. Your soul's longing will be satisfied in Christ Jesus if you go to him. Because he becomes your longing. And you find him in his word. You find the word of God in the word of God. Our world is so afraid of missing out. I felt that tug. I don't know if you have. I don't know if it's kind of a current generation thing. I think it's only getting more and more. Don't miss out on what true life is. Tasting the kindness of God in the pure milk of his word. Let's pray. Dear Father, even as um, we appealed here to those who have never tasted, we plead for them now. Lord, maybe there are those who have been in our midst for many years. Maybe there are some of the young people here. Lord, we pray that they would taste of your kindness, Lord. That they would find no satisfaction in everything else that they have been longing for. That they would see that their lives are full of malice and hypocrisy and envy and slander. That they would turn to you to taste your kindness in Jesus Christ. They would put all their hope in him. Oh, Father, Lord, I can't make this appealing to them. I can't make your kindness good. I can't make reconciliation be tasty. That's your work, Lord. You are the one who borns us, who brings us to new birth, who born us again through your living and enduring word. So please, in your grace, do that, Lord. Do that here and do that across the hall in the lives of our little ones there, Lord. Oh, Father, I pray for the saints here who are flourishing. And there are some who are deeply encouraged because they've been eating the full of your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to keep longing, that they would guard their lives of those things that, 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 that would tamp out that desire, Lord. I pray, Father, that they would keep being satisfied and keep tasting your confidence, that, that, I mean, to keep tasting that your kindness, Lord. I do pray, Father, for those who are in a dry place, Lord, who remember tasting your kindness but haven't been longing. Lord, I pray that they would uh, pick up your word and eat, that they would cry to you humbly and dependently, that they would admit their, their, their need for Christ as he's revealed in his word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be an encouragement to them. But please, Lord, help them to obey in longing. And so even if that is, is just a hint of what it used to be, Lord, please, Father, help them to long and help us to have wisdom as we minister to them. Lord, we don't want any of, of those who are confessing you now, our brothers and sisters, Lord, to fall away because they don't grow into their salvation. Lord, we pray that they would be bearing evidence of, of this new life of being born again by tasting and seeing that, that, that you are good. So, Lord, there's so much work that we want done here so that you are glorified. It's your kindness that is being put on display. So please, Lord, reveal yourself in all of your, your goodness and kindness um, uh, of your Son as revealed in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.